Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and demon that asks endless questions of those with whom it's supposed to be working so that nothing is getting done, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar Noelle LaCroix, and fear is for the weak. That's my motto. Either that or live in the now. I haven't decided yet. (laughs) Anyway, we're here to talk about Killed by Death, the 18th episode of season two. Killed by Death aired on March 3rd, 1998 and was written by Dean Batali and Rob Desotel, a name I still don't know how to pronounce and I probably will never pronounce it correctly. Uh, Deshaddle is also, I think, an option. I've never gotten it right. But it was directed by Darren Serafian, another name I can't pronounce. This is the only episode of Buffy that Darren Serafian will direct. A warning before we begin, every episode of Still Pretty talks about each episode within the greater context of all of Buffy, and as such, is fully spoiled. So, I feel fine. I mean, um, the world's spinning a little bit, but I like it. It's kind of like a ride. All right, let's go on patrol. In Killed by Death, Buffy comes down with a flu and ends up in the hospital. While in a fevered haze, she sees a monstrous-looking thing prowling the halls. She follows after it and bumps into another patient, a boy named Ryan, who also knows the monster is real. He comes at night. The grown-ups don't see him. He was with Tina. He'll come back for us. Who? Death. Xander keeps watch in the hospital hallway, waiting for Angelus to show up, who eventually does, of course. Xander stands up to him and runs him off. Buffy remembers playing superheroes with her cousin Celia when they were young, and she saves Celia from the imaginary danger. When everyone comes to visit, Buffy tells them what she saw the night before, and that a little girl died. While everyone else is ready to blame the fever for Buffy's monster sighting, she's not so sure. His little boy Ryan is afraid of something, something real. As long as I'm forced to stay here, I'm going to find out what. Xander and Cordelia break into the hospital records to find out more about the little girl who died. Meanwhile, Giles and Willow look into the suspicious Dr. Backer who's treating the kids and has a dark past. Backer gets crossed off the suspect list, though, when Buffy watches as something invisible kills him. Buffy claims that she's not feeling better to get a little extra time in the hospital and then hands out assignments to the Scoobies to help her figure out what's going on. I'm on sentry duty. Angel won't show till sundown, if at all. But maybe I'll get lucky with this death guy. He's invisible. Yeah, but if I see a floating pipe and a smoking jacket, he's dropped. While assisting Giles with research, Cordelia finds the monster, Der Kinderstadt, a demon who sucks the life out of small children, making it look like they died of an illness. Buffy remembers back to when Celia died in the hospital, screaming as little Buffy watched. Buffy figures out that it's the fever that makes her able to see the monster and drinks down a sample of the virus that Dr. Backer had been using to save the children. As the virus makes Buffy sicker, she and Willow go to the children's ward only to find the beds empty. The kids, they're gone. In the hospital basement, Ryan is leading the other sick children away trying to save them with the Kinderstadt in hot pursuit. Willow distracts the doctors chasing after her, and Buffy finds Xander, who helps her get down to the basement, where she finds the Kinderstadt attacking Ryan. She fights the monster as Xander leads the kids away to safety. The Kinderstadt tries to suck the life out of Buffy and fails spectacularly. 
He's dead, right? I mean, I heard something snap. That would be his neck. You're not going to yak on me, are you? At home, Joyce takes care of a recovering Buffy and ends up waiting hand and foot on Willow and Xander, too. She delivers a letter to Buffy from Ryan. It's a picture of Buffy standing victorious over a dead and bleeding Kinderstadt. Oh, he drew you a picture. How nice. Okay, so, Noelle, I have to say, Killed by Death is never one of my favorite episodes. Um, it's always one of those episodes that just feels kind of shoved in. It's weird. It has, uh, with the kid in the hospital, it kind of has this reminiscence with nightmares. Often I get these two episodes confused with each other, nightmares from season one. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, this has never been one of my favorite episodes, although I do think it does spark some interesting conversation, but I'm, I'm interested to, to hear what your response was to it. Well, I was a little bit annoyed by it because... Mm -hmm. I feel like they set up I I felt a little bit jerked around by the, yeah. the metaphor non metaphor that they had going right. on um, mm -hmm. because there's this speculation that the monster may be something Buffy has fabricated so that she can master the trauma. And I'm mm -hmm. like, all right, that I mean, that's a compelling story. But then we get all of these misdirects and these like not quite misdirects that create this sense that like oh it's this you know maybe the kids are seeing a bad person oh but it's not a person yeah. no it's really a monster oh wait but no one can see it but wait like I don't you know pick one guys pick one yeah exactly we fetishize this idea of the surprise in fiction right and I, I completely blame M. Night Shyamalan uh, he made this a million times worse this has been around for a long time but he just made it terrible <laughs> with everything that he did and then tried to recreate, you know, um, through his work throughout. It's just, it's awful. But we, in, in fiction writing, there is a thing where like a writer is like, ooh, and I can surprise them with this. And if I make them think it's the doctor, but then oh, it's not the doctor. Maybe, maybe it's just imaginary for Buffy, but oh, it's not, it's real. And like all of these different things, not to mention the fact that we have these two like running lines of who can and who can't see this monster that we have the you know this classic idea of children can see things that adults cannot mm -hmm. right that adults essentially are blinded by their presumptions and those are presumptions that children don't have so they can kind of see the world as it is whereas adults try to fit everything into their you know kind of constructed you know framing for reality and they will ignore anything that doesn't fit in within that frame whether it's there or not right mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of one of the stories that we get a lot where children can see it and and you know adults can't but then it's like oh no but it's not just about children it's sick children they also have to be fevered in order to see and so it's all of these things and it's all just so weird and so in the end whatever the metaphor is that they're going for I think it's lost in all of these kind of contradicting and overlapping details so that we don't really get any clarity yeah it only works as a metaphor if it's actually a metaphor, but it's a real monster exactly. that really yeah. did kill Buffy's cousin mm -hmm. that I, oh, I just, I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. But I mean, yeah. the monster itself is scary as hell. Um, oh, yeah. For me. It's got this kind of Freddy Krueger yeah, quality to it's it. It's got this yeah. kind of Nightmare on Elm Street thing going, but mm -hmm. also there's just something about it Um I mean, he's like, he's enormous, but yes. I don't know. Something about this monster, if it, w this monster is scarier to me than the gentleman in Hush. 
Oh, okay. Just for whatever mm-hmm. reason, like the look of the monster, until it does its eye stalk thing. And then I'm just right. like, no, I'm out. Like, And then it becomes ridiculous practical effects that kind of throw you out. Yeah. There are, there's less is more with monsters, Definitely. you know, unless the monster is perfectly executed, keep them in the shadows because our imagination <laughs> is going to do most of that work for you and you can't make it really super work. Yeah. I had the same thing. It was really scary and creepy until you actually got up close and then you're like, whatever, dude, you know, yeah, the moment when the monster is heading down to the basement and mm-hmm. sees Buffy watching and tips its hat Oh, oh, yeah. That's so great. It's so, mm-hmm. so good. But it's it's like lost. This great monster is lost in this soup of weird, you know, like. Yes. The, the hospital itself is scary. Like we almost have we have this setup like maybe maybe it's just Buffy's trauma about the hospital because the mm-hmm. way the hospital is filmed is like. No hospital is that dark at night, guys. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's a 1926, I mean, like, hospital. Yeah. Like, that's, like... <laughs> this is, like... Yeah. This has got some serious, like, you know, asylum mm-hmm. for the criminally insane kind of it vibes does. going. Like, it's it does. super scary. And then, yeah. you know, there's the, like, the close-up on the clock as it slowly moves from mm-hmm. two tw- whatever it is, 226 yeah. to 227. And I'm like, okay, that's great because when you're in the hospital, time mm-hmm. feels like it lasts forever. And I mean, and yeah. hospitals are creepy. I mean, the first yeah. the first time we see the security guard kind of noticing Buffy walking up and down mm-hmm. the halls and like he's just filmed in this super sinister light and it's like ooh, yeah. you know and the doctor's maybe doing something creepy to the children and then mm-hmm. you know giles's comment about children see our true faces and you start to think oh maybe it's the hospital like right maybe the mm-hmm. fact that it is so dark and that nobody see nobody's like around when mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing that pulled right. me right out was when buffy pulls her iv out she gets out mm-hmm. of bed at night. When you pull an IV out in a hospital, the monitors go insane. People right. come running. There are noises and flashing <laughs> lights. It's ridiculous. Yes. If you roll over in a hospital bed the wrong yeah. direction, people Everybody come running. Knows, right. But I kind of like the the sort of, you know, the symbolism that you could pull out an IV mm-hmm. and nobody comes. That the hospital, yeah. you know, this place that's supposed to be healing and protective is actually, you know, neglectful and dangerous, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. don't pay that off. It's just, you know, Buffy's afraid of hospitals because she saw her cousin die in one. And, you know, yeah, like, yeah, that's scary. But I don't I don't know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is. It's. I I think that there's a lack of clarity of vision underneath everything. I think that this is something that is written based on things that have, it's kind of like borrowed imagery from stories that actually do have metaphor functioning underneath them, pulling it all out, but only playing the surface. So we sort of have this, this underneath like metaphorical space where this story should be functioning, but because we're throwing in all of these other references as well, it is very soupy. You know, and it feels like there's just not that much there that like actually makes sense or actually means anything. And we go through this whole like the 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 scene and the unseen, right? You know, which is something that we actually visit with Buffy. 
you know, enough. Like we were there with uh, season one's Out of Sight, Out of Mind with Marcy Ross, mm-hmm. you know, who was invisible because nobody paid any attention to her, which was actually a really well-constructed metaphor. Um, we're going to do it again in season six is gone where Buffy becomes invisible. Um, and uh, season seven, same time, same place. You know, we, um, we've got a thing where, you know, a, a magic spell goes awry, you know, based on Willow's fears. And so sometimes they can see each other. Sometimes they can't. Um, it's really kind of interesting. Um, but all of it, like the the scene and the unseen is a really interesting um, like place to play in. And it usually does mean something, mm-hmm. you know, it may mean different things in different applications, but in one specific application, it means something. But here we have it's it's not just children, but it's also children who are, you know, fevered, who are sick enough that they can actually see the unseen. So it's two different layers of, of qualifications in order to be able to see this thing. And one of the things that it does actually kind of play on is, you know, we have this this, you know, the children who can see things that adults can't see kind of thing. But also like this idea of of the ultimate unseen, I think, in society, uh, you know, kind of that that demographic comes down to the disabled, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a demographic that is typically not considered. We're seeing a little bit more happen with accessibility um, laws and and things happening where we are sort of talking about um, about ableism. We don't talk about it as much as we talk about things like, you know, misogyny, racism, that kind of stuff. But that's still something that's that's very present in our society that we're just now beginning to sort of of you know attack at this point we weren't so the idea of the sick being able to see something that other people can't you mm-hmm. know um and and that it have it may be having something to say about that which i don't think that it does no like, i don't think no. that we're I mean, saying anything interesting about the seen and the unseen but it is a really great opportunity to do that and i feel like there should be something there but there's no consistency yeah i mean the closest that they get to that is the kids identify the monster as death yes and mm-hmm. you know and then there's there's the lovely joke about the death you know mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> which i don't know why that's so funny to me but it really is but the idea yeah. that people people who are hospitalized people who are sick or dying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have an understanding of this whole area of of you know human experience that yeah. we never mm-hmm. talk about yeah. i mean and certainly not with children you know mm-hmm. it's supposed to be super creepy when the security guard says you know dr backer understands the truth about children yes. sometimes they die mm-hmm. and like it, it, it's supposed to be super creepy but it it's true like sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes the the person who dies in the hospital or you know in life <laughs> is a child right. and we don't we mm-hmm. don't talk about that so the idea that the kids because they're sick because they're dying are mm-hmm. have access to this sort of secret hidden taboo space Mm-hmm. is really is really fascinating especially because we use the phrase i see to mean mm-hmm. i understand yeah so the idea of seeing something that they're able to see this monster who then of course is not death it's not yeah. death that they're seeing mm-hmm. but so there we go again with the kind of half a metaphor <laughs> yeah right but i do like the idea that the kids are very matter of fact about it Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they're scared, but they're not, you know, they're not trying to escape. They're not trying to, um, I don't know. They don't seem, they don't seem distressed in mm-hmm. a dramatic sort of way. They have kind of accepted that this is what is going to happen to them. And it's horrible. Yeah. Um, well, until the end when Ryan fights back by taking the kids and leading them into the basement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, of course, makes them sitting ducks for this. Right. Why lead them into the basement instead of, you know, out of the hospital (laughs) where this thing lives. Right. But, But, you know, but that's after he's he's a child and he's fever. Right. Sure. And that's after he's talked to Buffy, which I think is. Yeah. Is really fascinating. I love Mm -hmm. I love Buffy believing children when they tell her things that just Mm -hmm. because we don't we don't believe kids. Kids will say, I saw this and it was scary or I felt this and it didn't feel good Mm -hmm. to me. And adults go, oh, yeah. You know, or or it's Mm -hmm. nothing or the worst, of course, is, well, he's just a kid. What does he know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like using someone's age to dismiss their very real experience of Mm -hmm. terror is just, oh, that's that is a personal pet peeve of mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I just I absolutely adore any moment when. Buffy is being kind and understanding with children mm-hmm. and she's good at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, affirming for Ryan that this is like monsters are real. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. And there are real heroes too who fight monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, that, that was delightful to me in this weird <laughs> mess of an episode. <laughs> Right. Well, and I found that really interesting, too, because we've had this with Buffy a couple of times, right? I mean, already right now we're in this little boy, you know, that Buffy sees and Buffy believes, right? You know, um, we've we've had kind of a three beat with that um, because we have this this moment with Billy from Nightmares in season one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she sees this little boy. She follows him. She asks him. She finds out what's going on. She believes him. She defends him. Right. You know, and then he he wakes up and he's able to stop the nightmares. You know, uh, then we have the uh, Colin, the anointed one. Right. You know, the little child who is, uh, you know, created into a vampire and then and a little child will lead her into hell. Mm-hmm. Right. As the prophecy that, that leads her to the master, you know, at the end of season uh, season one. Um, and now we have Ryan. And in each of these instances, we have varying degrees of innocence with these boys. Like Billy is purely a victim, right? Mm-hmm. Colin is a victim in that he was made into a vampire, but now as a vampire, he is evil. He is corrupted, you know. Um, so he is he is actually responsible for that. Although while appearing innocent, being evil, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then Ryan has this, you know, sickness that happened to him, you know. But he is able to see. He's got this ability to see stuff. And I find it interesting that we have this imagery of like, and this happens a lot, especially it happens a lot in horror, right? You know where we've got these young children Mm -hmm. 
prepubescent, right? Because because becoming an adult, going into adolescence, is almost this this gradual phase of of corruption, uh-huh. right? To be a child is to be innocent. To be an adult is to be corrupt, yeah. right? In a lot of these stories, right? And it is that very it's in that process that loss of innocence, right? Um, which we often associate with sex, but it's actually associated with realizing that the world is a much more terrible, dangerous, rotten, stinking, vile place. <laughs> Then, then we like mm-hmm. to allow children to believe, yeah. right? So here we have these boys who are on the very verge of that transition into adolescence, during which they will lose their innocence, they will become corrupted. But while they still have their innocence, they are appearing in these places and leading Buffy to the fight, yeah. leading Buffy to the solution, leading Buffy to the danger, to the monster, right? Yeah. So we have this imagery over and over and over again. And that's something that if it, if it served a narrative purpose, I would refer to as a three beat. I don't think this serves a narrative purpose. I don't think this is deliberate. But when you see the same imagery popping up over and over and over again in somebody's work, and even though all of these episodes were written by different people, it's all under the supervision of Joss Whedon, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, and to see this, these young boys that are on the verge of the the inevitable corruption of growing into men, right? Um, which adds the this corruption of the patriarchy, like what the patriarchy does to little boys. Little boys can be good, but then they get pulled into becoming like the patriarchy's foot soldiers as they grow into you know adolescence and corruption, and then they can't help but become Shadow Xander, mm, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at all of this and I'm just like, and okay, this, first of all, I have absolutely no right to say any of this. This is all just my perception. I don't know Joss Whedon. I am not close with him. I've never met the man. I've never spoken to the man. Hopefully I never will. Um, (laughs) Just because I don't like meeting the people that I talk about. I don't (laughs) like, I want to be able to talk about people. When I meet people that I talk about whose work I evaluate, I usually end up adoring them. And I think that's going to affect the way that I see the work. And I want to make sure that my work is pure. So I I really don't like meeting the people that I talk about. (laughs) Um, But anyway, that's, that's why. But the whole thing is that I look at this and I see this little boy on the verge of being pulled into, you know, an essential and inevitable corruption of growing into a young man and then and then a man right mm-hmm. um and that i wonder if there is something in that transitional space that joss whedon is working with himself personally and i say that because i've seen this kind of thing in my own work things that i have i've seen this imagery pop up things that i didn't realize i was writing about at the time and then later once i've kind of started to process some of the things that i was processing subconsciously while i was writing those books um that i look at it and i'm like oh yeah no that's clearly this and i mean because it's me analyzing myself i have the actual right to do that i have no right to do that with joss whedon i'm just saying i find that whole thing really interesting yeah that is that is super compelling and i would argue with you that i think you do have a right to your interpretation um Right. But not when it comes to somebody's personal psychology. I think that like <laughs> what's in the text is in the text and you can take a look at it. I really am pointing this at Joss Whedon specifically. That is completely unfair and I am out of line doing it, but I'm fascinated and I want to bring it up anyway, even though I know I'm wrong. <laughs> well, it's funny because you earlier you mentioned M. Night Shyamalan and mm-hmm. he has done 
similar things Mm -hmm. in his films, specifically with respect to young boys being Mm -hmm. closer to innocent. And then as they move through young adulthood into adulthood, they become, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the turning point where they become corrupt and, um, Actually, I don't know if you know this, but one of my favorite films of all time is an mm-hmm. M. Night Shyamalan film. Is it really? Is it The Village? It's The Village, yeah. Yeah, you've talked about that. I heard it was terrible. I haven't seen it's, it yet, but we'll have know, to watch it. Maybe we can do that as a bonus still pretty. We can that would be fun. That would be fun. <laughs> for for patron subscribers, maybe. Hey, there you go. You get to hear me talk about The Village and why I love it, even though, you know, it sure. is arguably there are things about it that are terrible. But, you know, love mm-hmm. what you love, folks. So, uh, love what you love, baby. <laughs> but there's definitely that that idea that there's this turn that happens when a young man mm-hmm. enters into adulthood that that yeah. that that there is a corrupting force there is something that mm-hmm. I have seen in M. Night Shyamalan's work, certainly. And I bet if we pulled up other um suspense horror mm-hmm. fantasy type um, writers and directors, I bet we would see that theme because something that we yeah. don't, I mean, talk about narratives that we don't talk about. We mm-hmm. don't talk much about the, the man box, you know, the masculinity, like you are either all in and you check mm-hmm. all of the, you know, all the boxes for what it means to be a man, <laughs> you know, yes. or you're mm-hmm. out if if right. even some small part of you doesn't fit into what is prescribed, what society prescribes as the appropriate roles and behaviors for men, you mm-hmm. are less than as a man. Yeah. And that, I mean, I can't speak to that. I've never, I have never been expected to fit into the man box, but <laughs> I mean, you know, but, but mm-hmm. I've seen it with, you know, I have I have a child yeah. who was assigned male at birth. I live with a man. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not something that men are allowed to talk about because it's deeply emotional. And men are not allowed to have feelings because the patriarchy. Right. So- because the patriarchy. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, here we go. And this is this is why we need story and metaphor and all of these things yes. to like help us tease all this out. But to I, help us work that stuff out. I think that there's something very, very... Um, yes, everything, everything you have said resonates with me and Mm -hmm. sort of my sense of what's going on with these little boy, um, supporting characters. This little boy imagery. And I am trying to remember, I mean, I've seen all of Buffy a number of times and I'm sure somebody is going to be shouting at their Yeah, someone is yelling in their car. Saying, yes, there's this in season three or season four. (laughs) I'm trying to remember another little boy after this. Oh, and I don't, I don't recall one, but I could be missing it. So please go ahead, uh, tweet at still pretty <laughs> hashtag still pretty, and uh, and let me know what I've missed because it happens every week. Somebody's like, I can't believe you missed that. Well, and I'm like, okay, yeah. seven seasons of Buffy. I've only got so much. Not to mention, I've got like, there's stuff I just forget, and it does happen. So anything that I miss, by all means, I know somebody will speak up and let me know. Well, and there's only <laughs> but two I don't of remember us too. The little boy. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the little boy. Um, 
another little boy character really in and maybe there's one that's so obvious and I'm just missing it but I don't remember another one so it's interesting to see these three kind of little boys sort of reflecting on each other and especially in this very very similar context Mm -hmm. um you know of the the innocent child that leads her to the monster um and and you know and considering that these are boys that are on the very verge of being drafted you know as the patriarchy's foot foot soldiers um, you know, which women get drafted into, oh, too. Yes. I mean, let's not forget, women are as, as much a, a uh, foot soldier for the patriarchy as men are, um, because we're cultured, you know, to be that way. We're, we're socialized to be yeah. that way. Um, and it takes a lot of, you know, deep thought and um, and willingness to kind of, you know, be difficult to, to fight that, that battle. Uh, but it is really interesting to me, this idea and how this shows up um, a few times in, in a very similar kind of context, visually similar kind of context you know um this this little boy leading buffy to the monster to slay it's really really interesting to me so i'm i'm I'm, i don't know i'm interested in unpacking that i've probably read way more into it than it actually deserves but that's what this is all about that's what makes this fun (laughs) reading way more into something than it probably deserves is my love language so exactly you're you're just lighting up my heart so you mentioned shadow xander Yes. We get some really interesting Xander in this episode. Xander is interesting, and I don't know how I feel about him here. <laughs> I don't know if I love him or hate him. I don't know, Noelle. So tell me, what do you think about Xander? <laughs> tell you episode? how you feel about Xander in this episode? Give me give me something, yes. Tell me how I feel. Because I am actually, I am torn. Like, I like that Xander's being heroic. I like that he's standing guard at the hospital. I like that he stands up to, to Angelus, which is no small thing yeah. i mean he is a human boy yeah. you know he's 16 and he's standing up to one of the world's most vile and dangerous vampires who also has a very personal beef with his you know friend and and that whole group of people so this is very dangerous this is very brave of him he stands up to him he looks him in the eyes like yeah i'm willing to have you run through me yeah before I let you get to Buffy. And I actually like all that stuff. But at the same time, (laughs) it feels like it's in service to this weird obsession that Xander has with Buffy, which we still haven't put to bed yet. We had that weird sexual tension with them a couple of episodes ago. Um, we had the uh, the the weird, you know, thing where she throws herself at him uh, during the the uh, love spell effects, yeah. um, and he's a hero for not, you know, uh, taking advantage of her inability to consent, uh, which is a whole other discussion to be had. Um, which we had actually in in Butch by the Boulder. So you can go into that, and we'll talk about it there. Um, <laughs> But so he's but he, we're still playing this this romantic obsession with Buffy and it, it's going to end and die out soon enough. But every time it comes up, it's weird and it's awkward. And I feel like it takes something away from what makes Xander great, you know, in this episode, because I, I like him on the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, but underneath it all, it really drives me nuts. And then we have that scene with him and Cordelia after she has been charming information out of Willie Garson. Yes! From Sex and the City, yes. who some of you may Stanford have Blatch recognized from Sex and the City. <laughs> I know, I love it. I love it. It was so good to see him. I love that character. I love that actor every time he shows up anywhere. Um, but, you know, he's the security guard. Cordelia is charming him. Then Cordelia and Xander have this whole discussion yeah. about she sees so clearly 
that he is, you know, still got a thing for Buffy, um, that everything is always about Buffy. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to kind of like see that complication, you know, between them. Um, but when Cordelia calls him out on this, <laughs> like he still doesn't wake up and realize what he has. He has Cordelia. Oh, I know. Like Xander's lack of ability to appreciate that this amazing woman chooses him yeah like despite everything like he's so incredibly lucky and yet all he can think about is what he doesn't have when willow's with oz he's thinking about willow when you know buffy's not his he's thinking about buffy he has cordelia like she is amazing you know um and yet he cannot appreciate it i find that very frustrating and I, I really am curious to see what your responses were to Xander because I'm just torn there's a lot of great Xander in this episode yeah at the same time okay so Xander we <laughs> we start with Xander leading the patrol in the graveyard right yeah Xander is mm-hmm. just and you know Buffy's about to stake him and he says my life just flashed yeah. before my eyes I need to get a life <laughs> I gotta get which me a new is life, so yeah. good but then, you know, when she collapses, he carries her into the into the emergency yeah. room and he's so like, I don't know, the the Xander doing this because he's in love with Buffy storyline really didn't mm-hmm. feel present to me in this episode, except that we're told it's there. That was not what I saw in his actions was somebody who is part of this friend group who Mm -hmm. all have particular skills. And Mm -hmm. Xander, I mean, God bless him. Xander does not have a lot of skills. I mean, he's not. He doesn't. He's not. Yeah. um, You know, he's he's not Willow. (laughs) Willow, of course, is the best human who ever Human at this point. Human, you know, right. he's not. Mm-hmm. He's not strong and powerful the way Buffy is. Mm-hmm. He's not confident the way Cordelia mm-hmm. is, and he's certainly not Giles. Yeah, but he can get in the way. You know, he can. He can stand there and face Angelus and say, "You're going to have to go through me and right. all these other mm-hmm. guards." You know, and I'm going to let you. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I didn't get. It didn't feel romantic to me. It felt very like Xander sort of owning his role as mm-hmm. wanting to be in this group, want, you know, caring about Buffy, wanting to protect her. But it didn't feel especially patriarchal. And I don't know, maybe I was just blinded by the the sweetness of his performance when he when you know they carry her into the into the er and he's um oh i forget his line but it's great it's such a xander line it's like Mm -hmm. she's sick fix her you know like you know like Mm -hmm. like okay cool like we're in the helping place now and you're gonna help yes um Mm -hmm. so i don't know and then i love i love that scene with angel or angelus yeah um Mm -hmm. Where, you know, Xander is so courageous. And then when Angelus leaves, Nicholas Brendan, does, he makes this great choice. He, like, wipes his mouth off and sort of, like, yeah. shakes himself out. Like, oh, my God, what did I just do? Mm-hmm. And it's a yeah. wonderful 
coming like it feels like a wonderful sort of coming into his role as a physical protector like he is going to Mm -hmm. he is willing to lay down his life for Buffy he's willing without a thought to let Angelus kill him before Mm -hmm. he lets Angelus get to Buffy and that is huge that's huge but it's almost like in that moment you know, he said to Angelus, you're going to die and I'm going to be there. But he knows yeah. saying that, that the opposite is just as likely that he, right. that Xander mm-hmm. is going to die and Angelus is going to be there. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I had a lot of, I had, a, I had a lot of confusing feelings about Xander, Bonnie. I, I feel like maybe too. I'm going through something. <laughs> Maybe. Well, no, because I love Xander. Like, my default state is to love Xander. The ability to see Shadow Xander has been a long time coming for me. <laughs> and uh, and it's taken me a while to kind of get there to be able to see these two sides of this, you know, this this guy that I just absolutely adore and love, who is so incredibly flawed, but often flawed in a way that we don't textually acknowledge, mm-hmm. that we, we textually acknowledge is okay. And I think we are still playing in this space. You know, we have Cordelia actually textually call it out that he's always thinking about Buffy. You know, it's always about Buffy. Um, But I so I don't know, like I, I, I love everything about Xander in this episode. But it is that this idea that he still feels um, possessive of Buffy, that he still feels entitled to Mm -hmm. Buffy that um that this is this wonderful part of him this heroic part of him that i love seeing is motivated by something a little darker um and and uh, more shadow xander than than light xander so yeah i don't know i'm i'm very conflicted about my feelings for xander but i'm not at all conflicted in my feelings for cordelia <laughs> who i love with my Oh, Cordelia. Oh, Cordelia. The Cordelia we get in this episode is truly Mm -hmm. awesome. I mean, if she wasn't officially a Scooby before, she fucking is now. I mean, (laughs) she's she's in the team. No, I love all of that. I love that she's there to do the thing with the security guard. I love that she's helping Giles do the research. I love that she finds the monster while helping Giles do the research. Um, I love what she calls Buffy and Buffy's like, yeah, put Giles on. And she's like, no, I found your monster. I'm going to report this into you. Like Cordelia doesn't let anybody. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nobody puts Cordelia in a corner. Um, but I think my favorite thing about Cordelia in this episode is how secure she is in herself. You know, even when it's clear that Xander is still pining for Buffy, mm-hmm. you know, um, she says, why don't you watch my back? Yep. Right. You know, and she has absolutely she in no way. Is she looking at Xander and being like, why don't you love me? What's wrong with me? What am I lacking? Where am I failing you? Yeah. How am I not Buffy enough? She is not. This does not serve to make her insecure about herself at 
all, yeah. which I think is amazing. Cordelia, like Peggy Carter, knows her goddamn value. <laughs> she knows that if Xander doesn't want her, it's because there is something truly wrong with Xander, yeah. not with her. And I absolutely love that. I also love Cordelia being put in this role, which is a role that we are going to resurrect and, and hand off to other characters throughout the run of Buffy. But we almost always have one at the Scooby table, which is the truth teller. Yeah. You know, we talked about the five man band, right? Mm-hmm. We've got the hero and the land and the big guy and the smart guy and the heart right you know and so those are the roles that are commonly played in the five-man band not just in Buffy but throughout right and those roles again can be swapped between characters in a team uh, you know where one can be the smart guy one week and then another one is the smart guy the next week depending on how the roles all you know pan out in any given time but one of the roles that isn't actually defined um, as part of the five-man band but I think is so essential and I love the fact that we have it in Cordelia and then we keep it up throughout with various other you know characters kind of holding that flag throughout the run of Buffy is the truth teller Mm -hmm. right you know the one who says the thing that everybody else is pretending not to notice because it is impolite you know (laughs) Um, when she sits down with Buffy and she says so this isn't about you being afraid of hospitals because your friend died and you want to conjure up a monster that you can fight so that you can save everybody and not feel so helpless right it's so wonderful and then Giles you know like says you know know about tact with her and she's like tact is just not saying true stuff i'll pass right yep i love that about cordelia she's just like i I have no words i have no words the cordelia (laughs) that we get in this episode is just truly truly awesome i freaking love her sweet talking the security guard Oh, oh yeah. my God. You have the most perfect nose I've ever nose. seen. You must work and he out. Falls for it. Falls <laughs> for I it. Can't. I'm, I can't. I love But it. my favorite, I think one of my favorite Cordelia moments is mm-hmm. her bringing Xander coffee and donuts. Yeah. Because he has been, he's, he's on watch. Yeah. And she goes and gets him food, which I just. Now, the one thing, the one thing that's missing from that scene is I wish that she took a donut out of the bag for herself also. Yes. I would love Mm -hmm. to have seen that. But just the fact that she, she just sets that down, like, Mm -hmm. I know, I know what's what is so wonderful. Well, Cordelia and donuts. Donuts actually are a big thing with Cordelia. We're going to see that over in in Angel, you know, in the spinoff yes. show. Um, Cordelia always makes sure that everybody has donuts, and it's kind of fun. So great, it's so it great. Oh, and I love I love her calling. You know, so she's found the monster. She calls Buffy, yeah. and she just Buffy picks up the phone, and she just launches right into. Yep. this is what it's called, and Buffy goes. Who is this? <laughs> I just adore. <laughs> Who is what? I know it's so great. It's so great. And then Cordelia's like, It's, it's me. me. I've got your monster. Yeah. Right, exactly. Like there's a transitional period where Cordelia knows she's one of the Scoobies, but nobody else seems to know that yeah. yet. Like she just sort of is there and she's doing the thing. And she's like, No, I'm here. I'm part of the team. I'm doing the yeah. thing. Let me do the thing. Yeah. You know, it's really awesome. Oh God. And with her and Giles oh, and the research where she's like, What kind of demon is this? What kind of demon is this? What kind of demon is this? Ew. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> <laughs> and then he 
because this is the one who asks endless questions that keeps people from getting work done. She's like, there really is a demon for everything. <laughs> I so love good. that. Cordelia is so, so fantastic. So and when good. Giles gets stuck with her to do the research when everybody's handing out assignments and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't need. Oh, OK. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Giles. Oh, Giles. Just. Okay, I don't know why, and I'm I'm probably skipping mm-hmm. way ahead to my favorite part, but Giles bringing grapes to the hospital, just like, oh, I don't like. Why does that shatter my heart into itty bitty pieces? It just, I don't know. Well, you know that grapes are like that's a UK thing. That's what they do in the UK. Is that's the traditional thing that you bring is grapes. I did not know when that. Somebody's in the hospital. I just feels, yeah, I learned that not too long ago. That but just yeah, feels yeah. like a. I don't know. It feels very, um, I have brought food so, to so, share. And then he's eating them too. Yeah. Like it's easy. They're easy to share. Like if you're, you know, yeah. on a picnic in the park or whatever, like it's a great, mm-hmm. it's a great portable snack, mm-hmm. but it's just, I'm just, it is. I don't know. There's something about that yeah. that just like broke my heart into itty bitty pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but Giles hanging out in the hospital. Uh-huh. is just a little bit... I mean, we know it's not weird. We know. It's right. not weird. And he is Buffy's dad, story dad, but story, story, dad, story but... dad does not make real dad. This is the school librarian. Yeah. And Joyce... Okay, so let's talk oh, a little bit boy. about Joyce, too. Because Joyce not having a reaction to Giles being there... She's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. And, you know, I was so sorry to hear about Jenny Calendar. And there's this like weird, awkward thing. And she's like, I babble when I'm nervous. And I think that we're kind of setting up some kind of romantic what's this between Giles and Joyce at this point. Or yeah. like, you know, floating the trial balloon a little bit, having a little bit of that that tension in this in this scene just to kind of see where it goes. But it's it's so weird. Like, if the school librarian was hanging out with my kids, now, if it was something where they had, like, there was a, a school club and this teacher was the leader of the school club and, but even, even then, then, even then for the teacher to be there before I got there, for the teacher to be always at the house, for the yeah. teacher to be, uh, you know, the, that when his girlfriend dies, calls up my daughter and her friend and tells them personally about it. I like as Joyce in that situation, I would be like, okay, something isn't quite mm-hmm. right here. This grown man should not be hanging out with teenagers Mm -hmm. like it's just it's weird so in a situation where her daughter is sick like the fact that Joyce is like oh god you know I'm just I'm so glad that you were able to be there for Buffy and thank you so much instead of saying you know get the fuck out of here Creepo like yeah that that seems it seems weird that we don't that Joyce is a question but again like Joyce is simply the vending machine for whatever it is we want mm-hmm. in the story. And at this moment, what we wanted was a nice moment for her and Giles to kind of like float the trial balloon of a romantic element in that relationship. So it's, it's weird. And I find, I find Joyce just like, so Christine Sutherland is an amazing actress. She's so underserved yeah. by everything that they've given her so far, Yeah, you know? Um, and it's it's a little bit frustrating. It's just it's weird. I don't <laughs> like it. I want her to be an actual character. We don't treat her like an actual character. And it just bugs yeah. me. Yeah, she's not even written like 
um, they're. I feel like they're going for the busy mother who is scatterbrained because she mm-hmm. has a hundred million things on her plate. Um, right, mm-hmm. like most mothers do, and especially most right. single mothers. But it's not. Right. It doesn't come across that way. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. She's so inconsistent, and she's so. I don't know, like. I don't know. There's something there's something missing there. I really want I guess I just want a more fully realized mother for Buffy yeah. who is like trying so hard but just doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we get. We get the, you know, we need oh, we need a scene here. We need Giles to talk to someone right. here or oh, we need you know and Joyce has to be there because we can't not have Joyce there when Buffy is the sick. And we also have to have this background with her cousin mm-hmm. Celia, which seems incredibly stupid. There's no reason for us to have that history with Buffy and this monster. Like, you know, this it's it's personal because this also <laughs> this guy also killed my cousin. Yeah. And it explains that she hates hospitals, but you don't need to explain that she hates hospitals. Everybody hates hospitals. It's weirder if somebody likes hospitals. <laughs> so all of it like doesn't it doesn't need explanation we don't need that history now i've got the question well buffy wasn't in sunnydale when she her cousin celia died unless her cousin celia was in sunnydale and they were visiting her in that hospital but uh so this monster is at every hospital is there a different version of this monster does it just travel around it just happens to bump into buffy not once but twice <laughs> um like all of it is weird and it it raises more questions than it answers not to mention oh my god fucking flashbacks jesus christ i swear to god there needs to be some kind of like rehabilitation program for writers who use flashbacks like you don't need the damn flashbacks every now and again flashbacks will tell their own narrative and then it's fine if there's a narrative that is full and reflects upon the current narrative fine you get a pass but this flashbacking to this stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with anything except to confirm for Buffy that it's real but we already have that confirmation from other sources you don't need to hear it's stupid and we don't need it and the only thing everybody gets really excited about this flashback because it shows that Buffy's natural hair color is brown so we confirm that she dyes her hair that has been honestly the biggest thing to come out of this episode the discussion of this episode is always Buffy's natural hair color is brown like Sarah Michelle Gellar's natural hair color is brown I I don't like who cares it's blonde now so who who cares you know um but yeah I I just honestly it felt so stupid to me there's no point to it you can remove it entirely from the episode and lose nothing yeah so what is that even about? Yeah. And that brings us back to the problem we were talking about originally with the mm-hmm. metaphor not being a metaphor or being right. mm-hmm. kind of a metaphor, but then also this other thing. And then also. No, it's a it's a not metaphor in metaphors. Clothing, yeah. I think is what it yeah. is. Yeah. And I like I mean, I sort of like the idea of it, but it is also like, OK, pick mm-hmm. one. You know, is it, is it now, like, she couldn't save her cousin then, but she can save these children now. But we've done that. Like, we've done. And it does, it makes no difference because we still have children at risk. It's not like the fact that it's personal, the fact that she's had an interaction with this monster before adds anything to her motivation or does anything to, like, affect 
maybe Joyce and her relationship with it or, you know, which is something that like, you know, her niece died and her daughter was there, yeah. you know, when the niece died. And that could be traumatizing for a kid, even when the, you know, the niece dies for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know? So all of those things combined, what the hell? What is it? It, it? But we do nothing with that history. And if you remove it entirely from this episode, it changes nothing. Yeah. Yeah. They just really, really wanted to do the flashbacks, you guys. They really, really did for reasons of, I don't even know, I guess, to just let everybody know that Buffy's original hair color was brown. And that she used to play Power Girl. Shout out to DC Comics. She used to be a superhero. She used to be a superhero. Yes. Very Mm -hmm. cute. I mean, I I got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's not good. Um, the last thing that I had on my list of notes of things to talk about is uh, Angelus yes. because I love him. Uh, there's he's so much fun. I love seeing David Boreanaz just chew the scenery, you know, <laughs> as this character when he's Angel. Like you know, I love Angel and everything. Obviously, clearly, I do. I do an entire <laughs> podcast about his show. Like I love Angel, but the broody guilt ridden. I'm so sad and serious thing like does get old <laughs> after a while. I love seeing, you know, seeing Angelus's delight. You know, he's like you being off your games, kind of taking the fun out of this, and he punches her, and he's like. Nope, come on, you know, and I love that. I love all of it. Um, you know, it's fun seeing him attack Cordelia too, like yeah. especially in the context of the Angel spinoff series, where of course Cordelia is a central character there, and their relationship becomes a big part of that narrative. Um, so it's even though in Buffy there is nothing really that sets up or foreshadows that, because I think they had absolutely no intention of there being anything to do with Angel and Cordelia aside from, you know, just the fact that they, they have the same, you know, they're part of the same stories or whatever. But um, but when you see it move over into Angel and how significant that relationship becomes, you know, when he moves to Los Angeles and gets his spinoff series, it's always fun to kind of see these moments between Court and Angel. Like, I love the fact that the first time she ever sees him, you know, in Buffy, she says, hello, salty goodness, you know, and that's always one of my favorite moments uh, between the two of them. I love when she is, you know, throwing herself all over him, which that's a phrase I've used twice in this episode, throwing herself all over him and I hate that phrase it's so nasty um anyway I gotta get that root that out of my vocabulary (laughs) um but when she is you know clinging on to to Angel after they discovered the hand in the um in the dumpster you know um it's just it's so adorable I love her I love her and him and he attacks her for a moment here and of course I find that delightful too for extra textual reasons to this episode (laughs) extra textual delight (laughs) extra textual Textual delight. Absolutely. I love him choosing to be the villain. That's something I really, really yes. love about Angelus. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's got Buffy pinned and he says, uh-oh, this does not look good for our heroine. And just, right. you know, just narrating to himself. Like, he's just so delighted to be being evil. And there's something yeah. really mm-hmm. fun about that. He's choosing to be the villain yeah. of the piece and he's drawing everything he does out as long as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, Spike has has yelled at him for that. But that's part. Of, this mm-hmm. is what Angelus does. He draws it out yes. as long as possible. He comes to visit mm-hmm. the hospital with a 
bouquet of flowers. And I think yes. he's whistling Ode to Joy when he walks into the <laughs> hospital. I'm not 100% sure. I didn't notice that. He, but, he, but Ode to Joy, what is more perfect? But he's Angelus taking joy in everything. He's I mean, whistling as he walks in yes. with his bouquet. It's just... Yes. Oh, it's I so good. It. It's so good. He is such a fantastic villain. And I just, mm-hmm. I just love it. Um, yeah. He does give us our gross, our gross patriarchy, though, for, I mean. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. When he leans into Xander and, you know, he's taunting Xander and he says, uh, I got there first about Buffy. Uh, I'm just like, I yeah. need to shower for a week. I know. It it's, is gross. But at least if the patriarchy is coming out of somebody who's supposed to be yes. evil. Yeah. You know, at least there's that. Yeah. And I'm down with that. I mean, he can be gross and Whereas evil. Whereas usually we sanction it. You know, we're like, yep, absolutely. <laughs> we rubber stamp that patriarchy at least once an episode. So it's nice that this episode we didn't. Yes. All right. Well, that takes care of Arg the patriarchy, I think, for this week. So uh, what are you wearing, Oh, Noel? my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Willow's enormous coat in the graveyard. Yeah. Is it one of mm-hmm. Oz's? I don't know. I maybe. really, 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 really want to know. But it's it is a very it is a very uh Daniel Osborne style coat it is. that it she is, is wearing. Mm-hmm. And I like to think She's at the very least being influenced yes. by yes. Oz. But yeah. I like to mm-hmm. think that this is the Oz gives his coat to Willow. A la yeah. Angel giving his jacket to Buffy and that ridiculousness mm-hmm. that happens. But it's just, yeah. it's adorable. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Buffy's white robe in the hospital, which is a brilliant choice. Mm-hmm. It makes her look super vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And it's reminiscent of a hospital gown without actually being a hospital gown. Sure. Because mm-hmm. standards and practices. Right. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, she she is the titular character. Mm-hmm. She's the heroine. We want her to look pretty. Yes. And hospital gowns look good on exactly no one. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but it is too big. Mm-hmm. The robe that she wears is too big. So her hands are covered. Mm-hmm. And when she folds her arms across her chest... With her hands covered, the visual effect is similar to a straitjacket. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and we've got that little bit of a question about whether whether this monster is real or not, mm-hmm. whether the whether it's just a hallucination of the fever, or whether the kids are seeing I don't know. Yeah. They tried to they wanted to go into that scary hospital space. Mm-hmm. Um, or the she's maybe hallucinating space, but I like I really, really like that choice yeah. of the the white bathrobe instead mm-hmm. of hospital gown. Although they did put real hospital socks on her. <laughs> and I know this because hospital socks are the best socks. Oh, are they really? I don't think I've ever gotten a pair so. of hospital socks. I've always provided my own socks when I was in the hospital. Yes. I mean, I, I sit corrected. La- <laughs> Hand knit socks are the by far and away. The most superior of all socks. Most superior? Is that grammatically? Eh, whatever. Superiorist? It's fine. Yeah. Superiorist. <laughs> most superior. <laughs> but uh, hospital socks are, are, are pretty that. cool. Have, all right. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Um, yeah. And I mean, the last bit of costuming that, that I have notes about is the demon's hat. Right. Which, I mean, we'll, we will talk about this. When we get into talking about the gentlemen, who, of course, are 
mm-hmm. called the gentlemen and are yes. dressed accordingly. They yes. don't wear hats, but... Um, but they are they, dressed. They are to the nines. They are, yes. They are dressed. Mm-hmm. And I love, I don't know why, but the idea of a demon with a hat is well, we just don't like. get fashion from demons very often, right? <laughs> we mean... don't get a sense of the, the clothing. Often they're just gooey, you know, often yeah. like, uh, unless they're vampires, you know, just their skin is, just, they don't usually wear clothes. I think, yeah. right? I mean, they're usually like gooey and, and rough skinned, like elephant skinned, like that kind of thing. So it is interesting to have a character, a, a demon character that actually has, you know, a little style going on, right? Yeah. yeah. And then, and then, of course, the demon tips its hat at yeah. her in recognition that oh, I'm just, yeah. oh, I love it. It's yeah. so good. No, it is. It's, it's so good. really, really very cool. Um, all right. So I have a thing for Girl Power Moment of the Week, which I think goes to Cordelia for me. Um, I love Cordelia knowing her value in every space she's in. Everybody makes fun of her constantly, and she does not care. She defends her right to be in the Scoobies, you know, first with Xander. She defends it with Giles, and she defends it with Buffy. Like, everybody around her is acting like she has no right to be there and she has no role but she never lets that make her question herself you know i love that yeah. about her yeah cordelia is a force cordelia is a force she's pretty good all right so noelle what was your favorite part oh my gosh well i love the demon hat tip yeah that's pretty that good might be my favorite part mm-hmm. but i think my i think my favorite part is everybody coming to visit Buffy in the hospital? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, Xander brings what he says are flowers, but are actually balloons. Yes. I I don't, there, that's another bit of charming Xander mm-hmm. that just gets me. Yeah. And I kind of, I push against it because I have, I have conflicting feelings about Xander. I know. But he's well, just, Xander is complicated. Yeah. He but says I flowers like from, <laughs> flowers from a lady. Flowers so from she says, I think they call those balloons. And he says, oh, put them in water. Maybe they'll grow. <laughs> it's what? very, very cute. That's Xander's so kind cute. Of I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. that's pretty good. And of course, Willow brings homework. Yes. <laughs> homework that is done. All it mm-hmm. needs is to be signed. That is serious. That is very mm-hmm. good. That's that's real love right there. That is absolute love. And of course, Giles brings grapes and Cordelia brings nothing. Of course. She didn't know that they had to bring she... gifts. And then Giles is like, it's just a thing we humans do. Yes. <laughs> well, I have to say my favorite part is a, uh, a Xander thing, too. And as much as, you know, I, I'm conflicted about it. I love the way he stands up to Angelus. I love the way he mm-hmm. looks him dead in the eye and says, yeah, you'll probably kill me, but you're also going to have to go through all of these people. And I just kind of want to see it. What happens? You know, yeah. um, I love that from Xander. I love his heroism, especially considering that out of everybody, Xander is the least like, you know, quote unquote special, you know, he yeah. has, he has no special powers, nothing that makes him, you know, exceptionally qualified to be able to stand up to this demon world aside from his will. And even though there is that creepy, weird hint of possession with Buffy uh, that kind of fuels a little bit of the subtext of that scene, I don't care. I just like it. I just think it's nice. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to stand by it and love it anyway. Love what you love, man. (laughs) Love what you love.
All right. That's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noelle Allowed and use the hashtag still pretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of $1 a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons who are absolutely watching Cordelia's back. You'll also get access to exclusive patron content like our new podcast, Still Chipper, where the Chipperish hosts go off topic to talk about things and ideas that we find delightful. Visit patreon.com slash Chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple podcasts or by telling your friends about the show or by screaming about fighting vampires while in a fevered haze. (laughs) Those are all options. We'll be back next time with I Only Have Eyes for You, the 19th episode of season two. Until then, tact is just not saying true stuff. We'll pass. 